When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight, expertise, top guests. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on offthehooksports.com. I compute and obey. Now to Dave Hooker. Ready. Boy, we've got a loaded up show. Who could imagine it's just UConn week? Plenty to talk about. And each and every Wednesday means it is Jimmy Heim. So we always look forward to that. On the program today, uh, we shall discuss quite a few things. That is Dylan Sampson. Just how good can he be? Will he be? And I made some comparisons on Off the Hook Sports to some other top Tennessee uh, football players of somewhat similar stature. I may have reached a little bit on one guy. We'll ask Jimmy Himes about that. Have the balls been treated unfairly by the referees, uh, especially on the road? Also, five balls, five Huskies to watch as Tennessee plays UConn on Saturday. And Joshua Dobbs, man, I hate this. I loved his opportunity at Arizona because Kyler Murray doesn't like to practice nor watch film because that has to be put into his contract. Uh, yet Joshua Dobbs, it didn't work out in Arizona. So we'll talk about where he is and if that's a good situation for him. He's a guy that's tough not to root for. Also, reaction to the college football playoff rankings show that uh, came out. Tennessee at number 17. We'll discuss the top of the list as well. Please go ahead and hit that like button. Subscribe. We greatly appreciate that. And we want to bring him in. The man, Jimmy Himes, joins us now. Jimmy, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Dave? I'm fantastic. Uh, We're off and rolling and got a lot to talk about with you today, uh, including one of the things that uh, I really have been looking forward to your perspective about, and because you, you, you've been around a little bit longer than me. And you've covered some guys with some interesting skill sets. So it's today's tough question. It's brought to you by Andy Mason, AndyMasonRealEstate.com. Today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. What is Dylan Sampson's ceiling? That's what I want to ask Jimmy Himes about today. And... I say that because I thought he was really special at the end of the Kentucky game. 
and uh, making a lot of guys miss. It's brought to you by Andy Mason, AndyMasonRealEstate.com. Best prices, best service in the biz. And Andy Mason will take care of you for all your real estate needs. 40 years combined experience there in Knoxville. And, and Jimmy, before I get your take, I didn't say hi to Caleb. Hey, Caleb, how are you? I was going to say, I really took it personally. And, you know, Jimmy didn't say hi to me either. So it's the Jimmy just said, how are you, Dave? You know, I should just leave the show, guys. Uh, it's I've, the Himes and Hooker show. Let's just go ahead and take your mic away. Uh, yeah. Jimmy with a snazzy haircut, if you're on YouTube, by the way. I like that. Um, Jimmy, That's let me cool ask for you. Caleb, I'll say hi to you if you get another haircut. But until then, I think you. I think your hair looks fantastic. Um, as long as we all still have it. I saw a friend on uh, Facebook <laughs> recently that doesn't have it anymore, and he's, he's struggling a little bit. All right, so, but, and I do have some widow's peaks. But, uh, Jimmy, what is Dylan Sampson's upside? I wrote a couple of articles on him. Just eye test-wise, I see him break some tackles that are, are just really out of the ordinary to me. Uh, I think he can be a really, really special player. His ceiling is Alvin Kamara, and he also happens to wear number six. He reminds me a lot of Kamara. And even though he's 190 pounds, he runs with more power than that. I thought Alvin Kamara ran with more power at Tennessee than people gave him credit for. And Kamara was a little bit bigger, but I think uh, the that play in which he took the shovel pass and broke tackles to get a first down late against Kentucky by Samson, that really impressed me. He's got a nose for the end zone. He scored. He leads the team in touchdowns scored. He can catch the ball out of the backfield like Kamara did. Uh, I just I think he's a tremendous running back. The interesting thing is is to see how much weight Tennessee tries to put on him. I mentioned I think he runs with more power than his weight would suggest. But they also uh, I remember when Jalen Wright came to Tennessee and he weighed maybe 185, 190 pounds. He was a a track star. He won state in North Carolina in like the 55 or 60 meters, whatever it was. And he was reluctant to put on weight initially because he thought it would impact his speed. Well, it didn't. He's up to 210 pounds. Samson, I, I wonder if he can carry that kind of weight. I don't know that he necessarily needs to. You'd like to get him over 200, though. Uh, but I I think he's um, his ability to catch, his ability to break tackles, his ability to run with vision, with balance, all of those things remind me of Alvin Kamara. Great. Caleb? You know, I – I was thinking in my head, like, would Alvin Kamara be the peak ceiling? But then I started to debate, because we've talked about it before, somebody like Charlie Garner. But then I'm thinking, Jimmy, you know, comparing the two, I guess Alvin Kamara would be the higher ceiling. He surpassed Charlie Garner at this point, right, in terms of who was a better Tennessee and NFL running back. Uh, yes, he did. And, and the interesting thing about those two is that Garner shared time with two other running backs at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. There was there was little man Stewart and Aaron Hayden, and now you've got a situation. And then Kamara uh, split time with Hurd, and now the situation with Samson is he's splitting time with Jabari Small and, and Jalen Wright. So none of those players probably getting as many carries as they could have or should have had during their college career. But I I do think that Kamara has surpassed Garner. Garner was a good NFL player, but not as good as Kamara, and. Uh, I, I don't know. Bush Jones kept Kamara in the witness protection program for a while before he unleashed him against A&M. But I, I think, uh, to me, Kamara was the better back, but that's not to disparage Garner. I thought Garner was a terrific college uh, running back and a good NFL back. 
That, that's kind of funny to me because I thought you might say Garner was the better of the three. We're going to ask the message board who has the b- bigger upside, Samson, Garner, or uh, Kamara. I think the biggest problem with Kamara was that he didn't play as much because they paid Jalen Hurd to come to Tennessee, and Jalen Hurd might have flipped on them had he not played extensively. That's my thought. <laughs> well, uh, here's – Here's what I think happened with with Jalen Hurd and in, in that departure. Uh, and Dave, you'll remember this back to the Outback Bowl. They change names all the time. I think that's what it was in Tampa. They played Northwestern and they played Hurd in the I formation. And there was debate about whether he's even going to play in the game. So from the I formation, he gained, I don't know, 140 yards was the MVP of the game. And he had been promised by the staff they'd run more I formation instead of the, the zone read. And they didn't. And so he got really frustrated and quit at the end of what the South Carolina game. So that that led to his departure. Uh, so I, I don't think that the staff was, was truthful. And then you finally unleashed Kamara. And Kamara was – Kamara showed some flashes of being a good back when Hurd was there. But when he became the man, goodness gracious, he was so impressive. And uh, certainly he's done a great job with the Saints. But – um, I don't know about all this pain of hurt. I will I will yield to your expertise on that day. That's, that's what I was told, but we'll just leave it with that. When you pay players, that's the problem is they can flip on you and turn you in. But anyway, Caleb, go ahead, sir. Jimmy, do you think there's ever any plans to – because I saw Jalen Wright as an all-purpose back last year while Jabari Small was mm-hmm. the workhorse back, but Wright has turned into the workhorse back this year. Do you think there's plans at all for this coaching staff to make Dylan Sampson a workhorse back in the future? Or do you think he's always going to be that change of pace, all purpose back and somebody else is the workhorse back? It, it depends. Uh, next year, if Wright and Small come back, he's not going to be the workhorse, right? Now, if uh, one of them leaves, he'll get more carries. But down the road, uh, it's possible he would be the workhorse. But that might depend on how good – Cam Seldon is, or the running back from Alabama. It might depend on how good those guys are. You can justify playing right and small a, a good number of, of carries, right? So I, I don't have a big issue with that, although I think small might be, is the third best running back out of that trio. So I think it kind of depends on the development of other players, and it depends on whether right and small stay at Tennessee. I thought that Tennessee handled those three tailbacks perfectly against Kentucky. Jalen Wright mm-hmm. was hot early. He was the power back. Um, Jabari Small didn't didn't really play that much because they were fine with what Jalen was doing. And then once the defense is tired a little bit, you bring in Dylan Sampson, who mm-hmm. brings that quickness. The antithesis of that was the Florida game, where I think they forgot Dylan Sampson was on the team. Um, do you feel confident about Tennessee handling these, these three tailbacks moving forward? Uh, you broke up. Do I feel confident? What on the about tailback? Tennessee handling the carries of handling these three it. tailbacks moving forward? I, I think so. Uh, the, the Florida thing was, was in my opinion, kind of ridiculous. I heard, well, we fell behind. Well, you led the game, you know, <laughs> and, and so no, you know, you scored the first touchdown. So that part of it, I, I don't buy that. I think they screwed that one up. I think they also realized their mistake. So I, I think they'll continue to rotate them. Uh, to me, Jalen Wright is, is, um, I think he's a special running back. I predicted for the year he'd gain over 1,000 yards. The only thing that would keep him from that is injury or divvying up the carries. I mean, my goodness, the guy's had several games where he's averaged right at 10 yards a carry. So I think he's really good. Samson's a little bit different kind of a back. 
but I think he's special also. I think Small is just a, a pretty good back. I don't see any special part of anything special about his game, except he does give a lot of effort. But I, I think they've got a pretty good feel on how to handle this. And against Kentucky, each of them may get 10 carries, whatever. They should blow I'm, – I'm sorry, against Connecticut. They should blow out Connecticut. It'll be interesting to see how they how they divvy that up. But I think they've handled it – for the most part, I think they've handled it pretty well, and I think they've got a pretty good read on how to handle it the rest of the year. Jimmy, am I crazy for bringing up this comparison? And it's not exact, but it, I, I think it could apply specifically when we're talking about Dylan Sampson. But I remember when USC had their running back stable in 2005 where Lindell White would be the bruiser back for three quarters mm -hmm. and he would just wreck yeah. defenses. And then the defense would be gassed and they turn Reggie Bush loose in the fourth quarter against the tired defense and Reggie Bush gets all the yards. He goes and gets the Heisman <laughs> because of that. Um, do you see uh, – now there's no Lindell White really among Jalen Wright or Jabari Small, but do you see kind of a situation like that here where Jalen Wright and Jabari Small kind of wear down defenses for three quarters and then – the strategy is in the fourth quarter, just turn Dylan Sampson loose and let him be the Reggie Bush and get all the yards on a tired defense. Well, we saw that against Kentucky. Um, it wasn't necessarily true against Virginia because Sampson was the first, he was the second back to play, right? Started and then Sampson went in ahead of small, which I thought was interesting. I, Caleb, I don't know if they're married to that. I think that the, the Kentucky game fits your example perfectly. Uh, I would be in favor of getting Samson some more snaps earlier in the game rather than just waiting till the fourth quarter. Um, you've got halftime to have fresh legs, right, <laughs> if you're running back. So I, <laughs> I would like to see Samson get some more carries in the first half rather than just wait to the fourth quarter to unleash him. Uh, so it, I'll be curious to see how they play that out. But uh, to me, what I see going forward is Wright gets about 60% uh, in the first half, roughly, Small gets about 20 or so percent. Samson's going to get about 20 or so. I hope that adds up to 100. So sure, <laughs> I think that's 60-20-20. Divided yeah. by two. And... <laughs> so, so I, I kind of see that. And then I see Samson getting the majority of it in the fourth quarter. Uh, but I, I would not just hold him out till the fourth quarter. I, uh, I think he's too good for that. No, I I think he's really good. Going going back to that uh, Florida game, um, and I remind you the portions of the program brought to you by Apex Apparel Group, design, brand, market your way, unique products to promote your business with unparalleled customer service. The big boys use them. You should too. ApexApparelGroup.com. That Florida game, John Adams uh, said this re repeatedly on the program, I'm, I'm, and I'm curious your thought. Was that the worst game that Josh Heupel coached at his tenure at Tennessee? Yes. Yeah, I thought he was. Uh, I didn't. I didn't think he handled it very well. I, uh, not playing Samson's a part of that. Some of the decision making was a part of that. Uh, I also think they're still trying to figure out how best to use Joe Milton. And you would think that after almost two and a half years, they would have a pretty good read on that. Uh, and I actually think they're doing a better job with him right now. But, yeah, I, I didn't think he, he coached a very good game. They didn't go with the tempo. Uh, now, I'll say this, too. It, it hurt, and I think people realize this now. It hurt not having Cooper Mays, uh, and, and he's made a difference. These last four games, uh, look at their rushing totals against against quality defenses like A&M and Alabama run defense – or not uh, uh, Kentucky. Kentucky was ranked number two in run defense, right? Mm -hmm. Against Kentucky and A&M, they ran for over 230 yards. So I think not having Mays – into that, but a good game for Hypo. Play calling wise, decision making, what he was doing, the use of his personnel. 
I, I thought it was it was his worst game at Tennessee. Yeah, I think I think Tennessee wins that game with Mays. I thought they were just uh, discombobulated up front. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I haven't heard this, but I want to ask you because we always say this about quickish, smaller backs. Samson can't block. This is from our message board. Great running back, but can't block. I'm assuming he's talking about uh, pass protection. I don't think they're going to line him up at fullback anytime soon. But, Jim, have you heard anything like that? I, I haven't heard that that's a, a concern whatsoever. If you remember when, when Tennessee played at LSU, he missed a block and Hendon Hooker got nailed. And Sampson didn't hardly play the next few games because of that. He has gotten better in pass protection. And he's gotten he's gotten to the point where yes he should be playing you shouldn't think well just because of pass protection I tell you another guy that that wasn't great in pass protection was uh, Jamal Lewis and they decided to run him the, instead of having him in pass protection a lot how did that work out so uh, <laughs> yeah is, is Samson the best at pass protection no but he's still good enough and he should get in the game and get more touches and if I were Tennessee. And I'm not making nine million. I understand, but if I were Tennessee, I would have Samson on the field at the same time as Wright. I would throw him the ball. I'd put him in the slot some and put Squirrel White at wide out, or vice versa. But I would have him in the game and use him as a a weapon as a pass catcher because he's got good hands. Uh, let's get to what the H, and it's brought to you by our friends at Campbell Cunningham, Taylor, and Han because I keep hearing this in the community that the officials are just dead set against the Vols. So what the H? What the? What was he thinking? Release the hounds. The Dave Hooker Show. Keep cool. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. So here's the stat I have, and Jimmy or Caleb jump in and correct me if I'm wrong, but no live ball penalties called against an opponent that Tennessee has played in the last two games. And then Caleb brought up one, one live ball penalty in their opponents in the last three road games. So um, Jimmy is, let me ask you, is that just coincidence? Is there something to that? Is that just bad officiating? And it's brought to you by our friends at Campbell Cunningham, Taylor and Han enjoy life when you see better Local vision service for LASIK, cataract surgery, and regular eye examinations. Look at me. No contacts, no glasses, cctis.com, cctis.com. So, Jimmy, what do you make of the officiating that hasn't helped Tennessee recently? Well, I think some of them need LASIK surgery. That would help. <laughs> uh, I I think uh, Alabama it was poor officiating. They, they missed some blatant holding calls. No question about that. Uh, I didn't see as much against Kentucky. It is an odd statistic, uh, and I didn't know that. I knew the stat about Alabama and Kentucky. I didn't know it was just once in the previous road game as well. There were, here's something, I, and I don't know the answer to this. Uh, how many live ball uh, fouls have been called against um, uh, opponents coming into Neyland Stadium? You know, that, I, I, don't, I don't know the answer to that, or the, the penalty difference between the Tennessee and the opponent when they play at Neyland. So, we're talking about the road trips for, for Tennessee, what's happening at home. I'd be curious to know those numbers. I don't know them. Uh, the other thing is I don't think there's this conspiracy. I just think it was bad officiating against Alabama. I didn't see nearly the number of holding calls at Kentucky that were blatant that I saw in the Alabama game. So 
I do think typically, well, well, even if you go back to last year when Tennessee played Alabama, I may be a little bit off on this, Caleb, you can correct me. I think Alabama had 17 penalties against Tennessee in that game, and Tennessee had six. And you don't think the Alabama fans were hollering conspiracy in that one. So I think, I just think typically the road team is more penalized than the home team. Uh, And I I don't like it because that certainly suggests there's a bias, right, Uh, that occurs. But I I don't think there's any conspiracy against Tennessee in that regard, except the Alabama game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Jimmy, I don't think there's any conspiracy, but I I thought really it was the second half of the Florida game that was really, really bad, where they didn't spot the ball on fourth town. They called a terrible illegal block on, I believe Jacob Warren got flagged for that block, or McCollum Castles was a terrible one. No yeah. calls on pass interference. What I think is happening, and I think you hit the nail on the head, I think the blame, there's no conspiracy, but the blame goes to the league office. Greg Sinke, and everybody, Dave knows I'm not the biggest Greg Sinke fan, just because of how I think he mismanaged the contract with ESPN, different story altogether. But I think he's following the Roger Goodell footsteps of being utterly cheap. And what I mean by that is, there's so much money in the SEC, and these officials aren't full-time. And if you don't have full-time officials they're naturally going to get caught up in the home crowds, aren't they? That's just going to kind of be a human nature thing. And I think that's happening a lot of times with these officials in SEC games right now. I don't think it's related to being full-time or not. NFL officials miss calls all the time. Yeah, but they're, they're also full-time. not full-time. No, they're not well, full-time. Yeah, they're more full-time, but they're not. And I'll, I'll say this. I talked to, and Dave, you know, in the late uh, Rocky Good, he told me he spent 30 to 40 hours a week on officiating because he watched film, he did this, he did that. I just don't think if you're a full-time official, it makes you better. Major umpires are full-time, and they screw up a lot of calls. So I I don't think that has an impact at all, whether you're full-time or not. I just think the quick judgment is the problem. Now, do I think they should be held more accountable? I do. I think that after a game, there should be a pool reporter that goes in there and asks the referee, what about this call? What about that call? I think that should be there. They do it in the NCAA basketball tournament. So why can't you do it with the officials? Now, I've heard the excuse, well, you got to get the football officials off the field and out of the crowd and all that kind of stuff. But you still have an opportunity somewhere. Maybe it's on the van that transports them out of there. Maybe it's in their locker room afterward where you can have some pool reporter ask them questions about different things and to make them more accountable. Now, there are SEC officials that get fired, uh, but we don't know about it. Until the end of the year, we hear, well, the eight, eight officials were not retained. We don't know why. We have a pretty good idea. Here's the other thing that I've been told, Caleb. The NFL is raiding the SEC and taking their best officials. And therefore, the SEC officiating pool is getting worse and worse as the NFL takes SEC officials away because they pay more money in the NFL, obviously. Wow. I I hadn't heard that. Um, If I'm Sankey or the Big Ten Commissioner or whoever heads up the NCAA now that Mark Emmert's gone – I want to get this officiating cleaned up because, Jimmy, I don't think it's good across college football. And yeah. it, we, we had talked, and Caleb and I have talked about trends. If you start to look at them, the NFL's dipping a little bit. College football is going up. We could see a time in the next five years where they're rivals as far as viewership, much closer mm-hmm. than they are now. And you don't want to put that product out there and one of your biggest games of the year is decided by – a bad call by, by an official. That's, that's bad. It is. And I'll say this, and and this is obviously um, debatable. 
I wonder if officiating has been bad all these years, but we weren't exposed to as many games and we didn't have uh, HD TV to really identify a bad call. Was he, did he step out of bounds? Did he not step out of bounds? What is the catch? Some of those things. So I just wonder if the officiating has been about the same through these years. It's just under greater scrutiny and we've got replay and we've got, uh, uh, HD TV to better identify it when you watch these games. So I, I'm not sure about that. I think it's a possibility, but there's no doubt the officiating needs to be improved. And I, I really don't have a great answer to doing that other than perhaps to hold the officials more accountable. Yeah, I, I think part of it, I agree with you. Well, I don't know if I do agree with you, but I wonder, Jimmy, if you think maybe part <laughs> of this is, sorry, uh, wouldn't part of it be, I think it is worse now, but wouldn't part of it be because, I mean, you compare officiating to 30 years ago, offense just, offenses just move so much faster now. I mean, Josh Heupel's offense yeah. alone. I mean, it's a, it's it's yeah. much harder to officiate football games now than it was 30 years ago where you huddled up, ran 20 seconds off the play clock, and then call a snap, call a play. Did you get off of that, that off that Harvard study? No <laughs> 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 where you got that. <laughs> I, that's a good point, Caleb. It is. They're, they're, the athletes are, are bigger, stronger, faster. They run up-tempo offense. It makes it harder to call a game. I think I think basketball has gone that way as well. It's harder to call basketball now than it used to be because of how athletic and how fast these guys are. So, yeah, I think that's a really good point that it's harder to call the game now because of the pace of the game and how good these athletes are. Jimmy, we'll have your uh, prediction column later in the week, but um... – Tennessee, I, I think, is going to win against UConn. This just in. Um, are, are there any couple of three things that if a Tennessee's fan base you think would most like to see other than just beating UConn this weekend? Yeah, they want to see Nico Imaleva play about four series. Yeah, uh, a lot. You, you know, yeah, they, they want to see a lot of that. I want to see a couple of things. We saw Dante Thornton finally have a decent game, three catches, 63 yards. Can he continue that? Because they really need him to emerge if they're going to have a successful last three games. So that would be one thing. Here's here's the other one. Can they convert third and one against UConn by running the football? They better I, be able to. I, I'm, I've written a column. I'm about to post it, Dave, for you, and I didn't get it finished before. But Tennessee, even like even on fourth downs, Tennessee is three for 13 on fourth down this year. And they are one of nine on fourth downs against SEC opponents. And they're terrible in the red zone at scoring touchdowns. And they were best in the country a year ago at that. So I've, I'm, I've written something about that. Glenn Ellerby's got a couple of quotes along those lines, uh, which we'll be posting. But but that would be one thing. They're, they're just not very good. And and one of the things he said, and, and I've been on this bandwagon for a while, Tennessee runs the ball successfully when they spread the field and the defense only has five or six in the box. When they go to a bunch formation, this offensive line, it's not a big, strong, powerful offensive line. It's more of a finesse line, get in your way, just kind of uh, uh, stifle somebody, neutralize the defensive play, and then let your running backs find the, the holes. When they go into this bunch deal where they got eight or nine in the box on defense, Tennessee doesn't run the ball effectively. And they got to – I think they need to just run out of the spread on fourth and one. And they also have to have a quarterback that's willing to run that situation. And we have seen – a more willing runner out of Joe Milton the last two games. I would also like to see some toss sweeps, some some horizontal yeah. running yeah. Uh, running game, and some jet sweeps, uh, maybe yeah. to a squirrel white. 
Um, I think the running game's a little late, a little overly simplistic, to be honest with you. And it's number one in the SEC. So, right. So I so so I'll I'll go I'll go with you in regard to the short yardage situation. They got to be more creative, and they're simplistic and and you're right. But we're getting a numbers advantage, and they've got, in my opinion, three quality running backs. So they may have one guy that's almost unblocked, but Wright or Sampson or Small is good enough to defeat that guy a lot of times. So they don't do a, a lot creative in the run game except spread you out and find a, a hole for Sampson or Wright or whatever. And and they've been really successful in doing that. Uh, but against Florida, they found a defensive line that they had trouble dealing with when they had five or six in the box. Uh, Alabama did as well. Uh, if an opponent has uh, can stop the run game with five or six in the box, Tennessee's run game's in trouble. I get Jimmy your Gray, point stop. about them being – Go ahead, Caleb. I'm sorry. Jimmy, I get your point about them being finesse, but I'm still of the – your quarterback is six foot five, 240 pounds on fourth and one. He should be able to get you a yard run on a quarterback sneak. I don't know you why the quarterback in, sneak has is gone. You might find that in my column that I, uh, I've yet mm. to post with you guys. Mm. Yeah, you Mr. you and Rocky Top, Tom Rocky Top, yeah. Tom says yeah. we have a six foot five, two hundred and forty pound quarterback, and Coach flat out moronically refuses to run a damn quarterback sneak from under center. Rocky Top, Tom, and I are very disagree a lot based on generational preferences, but I fully agree with him here, one hundred percent, or or her, him, her. I, I don't I don't know if it's a guy or girl, but either way, I fully agree with you, Rocky well, Top, Tom. Tom. <laughs> okay lastly i just thought i'd share this before we let jimmy go uh a really backhanded compliment from joe calvin you hit it on the head for once caleb i always hit it on the head <laughs> jimmy we <laughs> certainly appreciate jimmy be good my man i appreciate you thank you caleb and thank you dave thank you appreciate jimmy, it I, I enjoyed I got a it shout out there oh yeah Thanks, you buddy. did i always enjoy it thanks guys thank you jimmy I'm sorry, Caleb. I didn't say hi to you. And then Joe Calvin taking a shot at you. You got it right for once, Caleb. And Caleb gets it right all the time. What are you well, talking about? Just so people, well, I'm getting a bunch of shots because I have not followed through on my bet with the mayonnaise and coffee, but I'm doing it tomorrow when we read, when we do our bets for the week. Let's I'm go ahead and tomorrow. draw this out. This sounds like a Friday thing. Uh, remind us of the bet and why you have to put mayonnaise in your coffee on. Let's do it on Friday. All right, we'll do it. We'll do it with Fred here. Um, I bet that Oregon and Utah would hit the over last week. And that was my big bet of the week. And Oregon did their job, but Utah didn't score anything more than six points. And so I have to put mayonnaise in my coffee and to add insult to injury. I'm a Titans fan who does not believe in Will Levis, who started the mayonnaise and coffee thing. And Will Levis balled out for the Titans on Sunday. But Dave, let's be honest. I think you would at least agree that that was a fluke game by Will Levis. Wasn't it? It's not going to last. Well, I don't know yet, but I will tell you this. I think that defensive coaches oftentimes get beat by a quarterback that is new, and then there's a book on him, usually within about six to eight quarters. So that's how I would judge him. If he if he's the starter for the next two weeks, plays eight quarters, how's he doing three weeks from now? Then if, I, if I'm if i you and he's playing well as a Titans fan, I'm excited. But uh, Chat Mortgage, congratulations. Your home search just got easier. Buying a home in Chattanooga has never been easier with Chattanooga Mortgage. Chat Mortgage, that's chat with two T, mortgage. 
Bet.com. Five balls and Huskies to watch. Yes, you need to know them because this is a football game that's probably not going to be close, but this is a game in which Tennessee can improve. We'll discuss that in exactly two minutes. Five balls and Huskies to watch with Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. Sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Sports Treasures in North Knoxville is one of the South's largest sports cards and memorabilia dealers, featuring over 10 million sports cards from vintage to modern. Sports Treasures carries a full line of hobby boxes, singles, autographed memorabilia, Tennessee ball collectibles, fan cave decorations, and so much more. See a museum full of collectibles at Sports Treasures, 4819 North Broadway in Fountain City, and Sports Treasures on Facebook. Sports Treasures, where the real sports fan goes to shop. Have you seen the latest TriStar Hats Co. product? TriStar Hats Co., what's that? You know, those really cool hats, shirts, tumblers, and even license plates with three stars like the official Tennessee flag and stripes like the American flag. Pretty patriotic if you ask me. Ah, gotcha. Seen those. Those are cool. Where can I get them? Simple. TriStarHatsCo.com. And if you order now, there's 10% on any order $50 or more. Plus, use the promo code HOOKED. With the promo code HOOKED, you get 10% off. That's HOOKED. And don't forget free shipping with any order over 50 bucks. Stock up at TriStarHatsCo.com. That's TriStarHatsCo.com. There are plenty of wannabes out there, so make sure you go to TriStarHatsCo.com for the best quality and customer service. Will do, and I'll be sure to use the promo code HOOKED. That's HOOKED when I do to save an additional 10% off. TriStarHatsCo.com. TriStar Hats Co. is a trademark of TriStar Hats Co. LLC. Any use without express written consent is prohibited. A college football tradition like no other. Yes, sirree, boys and girls. Or a guy that just won't leave. Wow. That is sad. The Dave Hooker Show. YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Back to Dave Hooker. Five balls, five Huskies to watch. So we'll get to that right now. And I, I assume, Caleb, you're going to spin this forward a little bit because Joe Milton could go out there and go 18 for 18 for 300 yards in the first half. And I don't know that he's necessarily the guy to watch so i'm interested to see the direction you go in this because i think you want to see guys make significant improvements against a team like the huskies so uh let's go ahead and get to it portions of the program brought to you by city heating and air conditioning 50 years in east tennessee integrity matters don't trust a fly by night hvac company to tell you that you need a new unit that could cost you thousands or more so here we go do you want to start with the huskies or do you want to start with the vols that is your call start with the vols because you're i i will tell you why you're wrong on what you just said oh wow well man that sounds a little harsh peyton what do you peyton what do you think about that like that is total bullshit. <laughs> right easy peyton good gracious he always comes out of the shoot on our show 
just with all kinds of obscenities. It's absolutely befuddling. He doesn't have that sort of public image. All right, so let's get to the five balls. So uh, you've got uh, you got Joe Milton at number four, who I addressed, and you're going to tell me why I'm wrong. But let's start with Chaz Nimrod. Chaz, I am not a Nimrod. That's his nickname from now on. Um, why is he number five? And by the way, I think I know, and I love this pick. I might even have him as number one, but Chaz Nimrod, go ahead. Yeah. So UConn has struggled defending wideouts the last two weeks. Um, there's something there with them. I mean, they're one in seven. So I like, Oh, can you spot a weakness in UConn? I mean, but well, yeah, like, I was getting to ask you, what have they excelled in lately? Um, but they have actually been in a lot of their games. They actually haven't lost a game by more than one score since early September. So they're losing like 21 to 14 or whatever. I think this is the type of game where tennis Chaz Nimrod has shown flashes as a guy who can replace Brew McCoy as a physical wideout to dictate coverage. This is the game for him to really kind of prove himself in that regard. Tennessee should take a lot of shots his way and see if he can have that impact. So I think Nimrod is a very key player. And if he stands out, you could be looking at a long-term option at wideout. You said something there. Do you, do you really think you've seen enough out of him physically to think that he could be even close to what Brew McCoy was last year in replacing Cedric Tillman because now you have to replace Brew McCoy. Do you, do you feel like you've seen enough? I don't feel like I have. I see the size okay. and I see the hand and I see the hands. Chaz Nimrod, the, I saw the hands against uh, against um, Texas A&M. The first, I know Bilton only had 100 yards in that game, but he threw a pass way behind Nimrod, his first pass, and Nimrod caught it over the middle. Brew McCoy was, I actually see better hands than Brew McCoy's hands, quite honestly. Um, okay. Now, do I see the leaping one-on-one -on -one balls? No, but I mean, I, I don't see why he can't do that. Okay. He's 6'3 right now. He's just short of 200 pounds. The guy needs to come into next season at about 210 to be the, the physical presence that you would want at receiver, assuming he can maintain that with his frame and not lose speed. So number four, you got this Joe Milton, not. Huh? I would say that Joe Milton, did I interrupt you? Sorry. Yeah, I was going to ask with these physical receivers, is there, we talk about minimum level with wideouts, is there a base level of speed you have to have or does speed really matter for these physical wideouts on the outside that much? I think it's like we talked about with uh, throwing arms and arm strength. I, th I think there's a base. I don't think you can run around out there at a 4-6 regularly and stay open, but I do think that he he, he has – I don't think there's a guy that's playing on Tennessee's football team that doesn't have enough speed uh, right now. So I think he'll be fine. Uh, but I do think you would like for him to win one-on-one -on -one battles like Brew McCoy was going to do this season. Number four, you've got Joe Milton, balls to watch against the Huskies. Why? Because, goodness gracious, he could go out there and ball out, and he's still going to be the starter. And let's be really honest with you. People want to see. Be sure and hit the like and subscribe button. Nico insists you do so. Why Milton at four? Because, look, I would have a different list if the Austin P game didn't happen. But the Austin P game happened, and I was like, I we went into that game thinking like last year, like oh, it's a hooker offense. They'll put up sixty and then pull their starters and call it a day. And then they couldn't put Austin P away until the fourth quarter, and Nico never got in the game. So now. They're in a similar situation where people are high on Milton again after last week, and they got a bad team in UConn coming to town. And the question is, can Milton actually put a bad team away at halftime? 
We haven't seen him do it yet, Dave. Okay. This Husky seems pretty bad. Wesley Walker, number three. I, I want to see if he uh, makes this list uh, of balls to watch. Wesley Walker, number three. Why? Jim Mora Jr. runs the West Coast offense. He's tried to force it on everybody he's had. He tried to force Michael Vick to run the West Coast offense, which is the worst match ever made. I'm sure you remember that, Dave, in Atlanta in 2004. Mm -hmm. um, maybe the stupidest thing anybody ever tried to do with Michael Vick. Um, but, well, outside of what he, his friends tried to do with him off the field. But, okay. Um, what I... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Should we just make a dog abuse reference? Yeah, I did. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But what I was, but so Jim Mora Jr. with the West Coast offense, as you know, Dave, the physicality of the safeties cheating up is huge. The safeties have to be able to read the quarterback and they have to be able to re react quickly. And so Wesley Walker, just to shut down the offense, is going to be the key to doing that. Okay, who's going to flip out on the message board if this guy doesn't make the final two? Okay, pressure's on Caleb Calhoun now because we're now at number two who doesn't even play offense, so it can be number two. It's Elijah Herring. And <laughs> the again, the West Coast offense, you got to be able to close the gaps on running plays and not let running plays get into the third level. And you also have to be able to handle passes over the middle for quick timed routes. That's huge for the middle linebacker. So it's Elijah Herring. Who do you most want to see on the message board? Because we're at number one. And I, this is not about who we most want to see. This okay, is about who is most important to winning Look, the five game. Five balls to watch. Five balls to watch. I'm, I'm tweaking it a little bit. All right. So who do you want? Who do you want to see star? Uh, on Saturday against the, the Huskies. By the way, uh, Jim Mora Jr., you got to congratulate him because he must have been involved in some sort of, uh, uh, I don't know, mafia scheme because you, you talk about witness protection program. UConn is the place to be. Surely number one is... Please tell me, Caleb. Please, for the love of all the Tolly, tell me he's the guy that you want to see. Nope, because it's not about who I want to see. It's who <sighs> Tennessee needs to step up, and Tennessee is not going – Nico Iamaliava is not going to be the one to put this game away. They won't put him in until the game is put away, and the question is can they put the game away, and we don't know. So number one is Jalen Wright because you beat UConn by torching them on the ground, and Jalen Wright is a physical back. Uh, we know what Jalen Wright does, so Jalen Wright needs to get 100 yards in the first quarter. Sorry. Travis says Nico being a bust won't make this list. For those of you that are just joining today that weren't with us yesterday, we were joking about Nico being a bust. Rob says Nico should be on the list, but he's not. And I'm a little bit heartbroken by that. Portions of the program brought to you by Harold Group Security Solutions. We're going to look at those Huskies. Leadership experience, specialization, addressing problems through unique mission-specific mitigation techniques, also making your children safer one school at a time. We're with private schools now. want to go with public schools. So go to your school administrator and say, Harold Group Security Solutions, HaroldGRP.com. Support our sponsors. They are right below. All right. So the Huskies that you want to keep an eye on, I'll be honest with you. I mean, if, if they want to borrow just for a little bit so that i can see him play i'm fine with that you know you could just switch jerseys but all right let's go through these huskies you got jackson mitchell at linebacker 
I'm going to start by saying Nico Iamaliava could not run the West Coast offense. But anyways, um, that's not his that game. That dude could run any offense. Um, it, Jackson Mitchell's UConn's leading playmaker on defense, leads the team in tackles. Wait, has... why, couldn't he run, why couldn't he run the West Coast offense, Peyton? They're like, that is total bullshit. <laughs> because the West Coast offense is about short precision accuracy. Nico Iamaliava's strength is his big arm. Uh, I've been told... A... I have been told that he's crazy good accurate. Okay, I'm sure he is on deep balls, but how often do you throw the precision quick five-yard hitch routes or quick passes over the middle on three-step drops in Josh Heupel's offense? You don't, Nobody knows how accurate he is on those things because you never actually run those in Heupel's offense. That's a fair point. Um, all right, so you got Mitchell at number five. Do we want to say anything yeah. about Mr. Mitchell? He has a defensive touching on the year, an interception, a fumble recovery, 81 tackles, 39 solo tackles, pretty much does it all, three and a half tackles for a loss. So he's the linebacker, the playmaker, the overall playmaker on their defense. Okay. And then we have Taquan Roberson at quarterback, who just for the record is uh, not as talented as who? All right, but what do you think of UConn's quarterback? He's also not as talented as L. Roberson. Who remembers him? Kansas State. 2004 Big who? 12 championship. L. Roberson. Oh, I do remember led, him. Yeah. Led Kansas State to the Big 12 title with the blowout over Oklahoma, the Oklahoma team that was considered the greatest team of all time until that game. Um, I'm just glad Jim Mora Jr. got a shout out. Yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, <laughs> Taquan, like, he hasn't been good this year. He's completing 57% of his passes. And by the way, I keep bringing up the West Coast offense. Dave, you know, the West Coast offense is designed for you to have high completion percentages. So if you're only completing 57% of your passes in that offense, you're bad. So he's a bad quarterback, but he's the quarterback, so he's got to be on the list. Uh, Daniel throws one out there. First of all, Rob says, Caleb, what are you smoking? Um, you don't have to smoke, by the way, if you go to our friends at Hemp House Chat with two Ts, the premier hemp dispensary, but you can smoke, online with a wide variety, great selection, strict standards to ensure you only receive the best in CBD or Delta products. Go with the big orange crunch. Use the promo code hooked. Hooked to get 10% off. There's a lot of stuff out there. You want to make sure you're safe. Hemp House chat with two T's.com. Um, where were we? I got lost. Caleb, what are you uh, smoking? Taquan Roberson. What's next? Daniel wants to see the Okoye kid tied in. I think you're going to see Ethan Davis before him. And uh, so who's next? We're at number three, Price Yates. Yes, he is the edge rusher for UConn. Yes. Four and a half sacks, eight and a half tackles for a loss on the year. So, and Joe Milton did get sacked twice last week. So, if UConn's going to make this a game, they're going to want to try to get a couple of sacks in the first half. And Price Yates will be key for them to do that. Any relation to Doug Yates of Doug Yates Racing? I have no idea. Okay. Chris Sheeran, defensive back. Um, will he have even a pass breakup against the balls? Your thoughts and any relation to Ed Sheeran, even though it's spelled differently? It's spelled differently, and I don't think he's nearly as good at his job as Ed Sheeran is at his job because Ed Sheeran's amazing. But um, God, love Ed Sheeran, love Ed Sheeran. Uh, but I will say that okay, so Chris Sheeran is a safety playmaker, kind of does it's kind of that do it all safety, kind of like Wesley Walker for Tennessee. And Joe Milton, as you and I know, can be prone to mistakes every now and then. If he throws a pass behind a player over the middle, it could be an interception for Chris Sheeran. So leads the team, he has two picks on the year, so watch out. And the number one Husky to watch, 
is it's not it's Cameron Edwards the running back who's uh pretty good and on a little bit of a uh, a hot streak there well as hot as you can get in Connecticut well look this is an indictment on Mora because Victor Rosa was by the way look at the picture of Victor Rosa if you want to pull it up and tell me this guy looks like does not look like a running back Victor Rosa looks like a kicker if you look at him and Jim Mora was starting him at running back all year he got hurt and then Cameron Edwards came in and he's gone over 100 yards from scrimmage in each of the last two games so I think um I think yeah no, go ahead. Don't I, let that. Don't let that comment on the message board throw you off. Continue your thought. No, I just think that. I, I, uh, Victor. I, I think Cameron Edwards is now going to be their best offensive weapon, and Jim Mora. You have to question how he ever thought Victor Rosa was better. I can look at Victor Rosa and say, "How is this guy a running back?" Travis says a little more ginger in your hair, Caleb, and you'd look like Ed Sheeran. <clears throat> I can see that, and he's a good-looking dude. So that's a compliment. He also apparently parties like nobody's business there were a couple of rappers who like were like oh we're gonna show you how we party here in america and they were in miami and ed sheeran like went all night and i think dj Khaled was like i had to go to sleep i couldn't hang with them can we do that thing where we meld together our faces so you would get the slightly red hair and then see if we together would look like ed sheeran so if caleb and i had a child which is physically impossible and not going to happen even if it was would it look like Ed Sheeran? Uh, that's the question I have for you. So we'll see if we can merge those uh, together. Joshua Dobbs, I started the season and I said, this is so perfect for him because he's going to Arizona and Kyler Murray, literally, guys, in case you're not NFL fans, he has it written into his contract that he has to watch film four hours a week. I've never heard of that ever, ever, ever. If you're not watching film at that level, you're not going to be successful. Same for the SEC level, for, for that matter. And he was and also I told he it, couldn't count video games this film. <laughs> yes, and I thought Joshua Dobbs to Arizona was going to be a great fit. Now, they're kind of trying to tank to maybe get a Caleb Williams. Um, at least that's the talk. But Dobbs traded... Tell me about his new destination, and should we be happy for Josh Dobbs, who we love to root for, um, or should we be like, ah, darn it? You should be thrilled for Josh Dobbs. Ooh. You should be thrilled. Josh Dobbs is finally on a team with a quarter with a coach who will be invested in him, a coach who knows how to call offense, and a team that is not trying to tank. Um, well, tell, me, tell everybody where he's going. I haven't even said that yet. Josh Dobbs was traded from Arizona to Minnesota. Minnesota is four and four. They just lost Kirk Cousins for the season. They still mm -hmm. think they have their playoff caliber team. Josh Dobbs is probably going to start right away with them. And it's a great situation for him. Kevin O'Connell, the head coach there. One quick connection. He was born in Knoxville. So you don't think he knows a little bit about Josh Dobbs? Um, and there's that he was Matthew Stafford's quarterback. He was the offensive coordinator, excuse me, of the Super Bowl of the Rams when they won the Super Bowl. He's a Sean McVay protege. Now Dobbs is not like Stafford. Stafford is the big arm drop back passer, but Dave, you know, this, the Sh Sean McVay offense got Jared Goff to a Super Bowl. Who's a totally different type of quarterback from Matthew Stafford. It's, it's very adaptable to the quarterback, whoever it right. is. 
Um, yeah, no, it is adaptable. Um, so are we saying that you, cause you said that Joshua Dobbs has, and we, again, when we say weak arm, know where we're coming from. It's, it's an arm good enough to play in the NFL or he'd already be out, but you, you've, you've raised concerns about his arm strength. So you think that is adaptable to his new offense? I think this offense is adaptable to his weak arm because Jared Goff doesn't have the had kind of a weak arm too, and he got them to the Super Bowl. So I think that this offense is adaptable to it. So Dobbs' mobility is going to be a factor and going to be a big help. And I think I think he's in a situation. He's got a supporting cast. Look, he was on a he was on a team trying to make the playoffs last year with the Titans at the end of the year. But Todd Downing was a deer in headlights and had no idea how to use his new quarterback. Because I've never seen an offensive coordinator that breaks more toys on purpose than Todd Downing does. So I was very down on Downing. Um, but now I think he's in a great situation with a great offensive coach, a playoff contender. And I think Minnesota is going to invest in him. Look, Arizona was Arizona was he was playing with one hand behind his back because while he was trying to win, Arizona as a team was trying to tank. It's yeah, really it's almost like they went out and got him and they were like, oh, Dad, blame it. He's too good. He's going to yeah. win too many. He's going to win four or five games, and we're not going to get Caleb Williams. That's exactly um, so what it was. I felt like that was part of it. Um, other than producing Prince, Minnesota is a terrible place. Kevin <laughs> Garnett, Kirby Puckett. Yeah. Uh, Janet Jackson, or Jimmy Jam. Jimmy Jam, the guy who produced for Janet Jackson, uh, is from, from Minnesota. Uh, okay, I didn't know that. Um, Prince definitely had that sparkle, like Rick Terry Jewelry Designs can offer. You want to be your, they want to be your jeweler looking for affordable game day jewelry. How about the Fire Opals, the Tennessee tradition? RickTerryJewelry.com, RickTerryJewelry.com. Purely based off of Joshua Dobbs and the scenario in which he finds himself in Minnesota, what will be his success level as? a player and as a team because the Vikings, for those that don't know, have a pretty good uh, football team put together right now. I think Josh Dobbs, I'm going to say it with the NFC North kind of in flux. I think Minnesota is a play as a wild card team this year. I think Josh Dobbs gets them to the wild card. I think he gets a wild card playoff spot for them. And I think when Kirk Cousins comes back next year, because Kirk Cousins is better than Josh Dobbs, as much as I respect Josh Dobbs, but I think the wild card berth is going to earn Josh Dobbs a contract by an NFL team next year. Okay. I could see that. Now, are there any other quarterbacks we need to be aware of on Arizona's roster that already know the offense could hold on to the job or keep the job with Kirk? You like that Cousins out of the mix. You didn't, you said Arizona, you sure you meant Minnesota, right? Oh, I'm sorry, Minnesota, excuse me. Yes, um, Jaron Hall, I think, is the only guy, other guy on the roster, and technically he's listed as the first stringer. And I do think Jaron Hall might start this week because Josh Dobbs was just traded. But I think, I still think Dobbs gets that job in two weeks, honestly. By the way, uh, I don't know if you guys know this, a uh, nice little throwback, Ty Chandler is the backup running back at Arizona who played at Tennessee for a little while. Nice. And if Dobbs works out at, or not Arizona, Minnesota, if Dobbs works out at Minnesota, could Josh Dobbs and Hendon Hooker be a future rivalry in the NFC North? This is turning into the most sarcastic message board of all time. Orange Blood said, did y'all know Dobbs has an aerospace engineering degree? 
I mean, that has been so reported. It's almost like you can't introduce him. Like he walks into a room and said, hey, this might be our new starting quarterback here at Minnesota. Who's excited? And by the way, he has an aerospace engineering degree. His name is Josh Dobbs. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Dave, I got, I got a question about you with Dobbs, though. Honestly, serious question, because I want to I point this out. Okay. Tyler Bray to Josh Dobbs, and I bring this up a lot. Is, are those the two most extreme examples of a quarterback who maximized his talents at the highest degree in the NFL as what he could do and a quarterback who totally wasted his talents? Or am I being yeah, hard? I thought you, okay, for a second, I thought you were going to say they were both they both maximized their talent. I was like, no. whoa. No, was, no, Tyler, no, no, was Tyler Bray a total waste of talent? Do you think he could have been uh, smart I, if he had his head right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no question. And and when you go into the NFL, and this is the difference between Dobbs and Goff, for instance, when you go into the NFL, if you don't have a lot at stake on you in terms of a high draft pick, in terms of a lot of cash coming your way, you're going to lose out to a, a depth chart battle to another guy that has a more of that clout. So Goff was highly thought of coming out of school and I mean, him and Dobbs have been about the same. I mean, Goff's had more opportunity, but that's because of the perception coming out of college. I'm sure they have great, fantastic Josh Dobbs memorabilia at Sports Treasures, carrying over 5 million Sports Treasures and so much more. Follow on Facebook for the best sports memorabilia, daily updates. Again, go to Facebook, SportsTreasuresTN.com. You can find them there, SportsTreasuresTN.com. Boy, it would be fun to watch josh dobbs advance minnesota in the playoffs maybe win a game or two is there a more lovable ball who did less in his time at at tennessee because the flip side of that is casey clausen who nobody liked during his time there there's a recent push of, of liking him uh, as I saw on facebook recently and he's a road warrior I was trying to tell you all that stuff in 2002. Um, and he brought a, a real sense of uh, confidence to the team. But is there a more lovable ball who has done less during his Tennessee career than Joshua Dobbs? Done less, like, well, that I hate to say that because, like, you don't want to like knock Josh Dobbs because, like, yeah, no, but uh, I mean, but he didn't win. He didn't even win an SEC East. Casey did, and Casey's still despised by a lot of a lot of guys. Um. I mean, hot take, Condridge Holloway might have done less than Josh Dobbs, um, but he, uh, but Condridge Holloway is beloved. It wasn't Condridge Holloway's fault. I mean, taking the race part out of it, which is a big part of it, but just focusing on the team, anybody who knows Tennessee history, that program was sliding into irrelevancy because they were so far behind the rest of the SEC curve. Tennessee had people from the Neyland days in the 70s. I don't know if you know the story, Dave. They didn't want to put lights at Neyland Stadium. They thought it was a violation of tradition to play night games in the 1970s to show you how stupidly old school they were at the time. Yeah. I think Wrigley um, Field was the same way. And uh, they put lights up. Bill Murray showed up drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, that and that's why Johnny Majors took the job in 77. I'm sure you've heard the story. He's like, I took the job because it was my home school. I didn't realize how bad a shape the program was in and how, behind you know, and I'm probably being unfair. And some people have pointed this out on the message board. When I say done less, yes, he has, he has some records as orange blood as pointed out. But just as far as team success, you know, we haven't seen we haven't seen that out of him. So that that's kind of what I'm driving at. I, 
Did but, he have less team success than Heath Schuler though? I mean, uh, Heath Schuler never won the East. No. No, I mean that's fair. Um, or or Jimmy Streeter probably is beloved and had the least amount of success in the late seventies. Yeah, um, I could I could I could see that. Um, but I tell you what, let's uh, let's look forward because we need to do that. And uh, I want to tell you a little something about uh, the college football playoff that you need to know. Also, the basketball balls on the floor. But let's start with react reacting to the college football playoff. It is time for four downs. But first, our friend Cooper Mays is going to tell you what to do. Cooper Mays here. Hit like and subscribe. Yes, that's what people need to do, Coop, and they certainly will. So go ahead and smash that like button. We greatly appreciate that. Four downs brought to you by our friends at Tennessee Cider Company. Four downs. Four questions. Four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four. 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 Bounds. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. Tennessee number 17 after being number one last year in the very first college football playoff committee show. And uh, we'll discuss if they got it right from the top on down to the Vols, and if the Vols have a path. Uh, it's brought to you by Tennessee Cider Company, the original hard cider of the Smoky Mountains. Use the promo code HAT, that's HAT, to receive some free swag with your cider order available most anywhere in the U.S., tnsidercompany.com, or just go below and you can see the link. Use the promo code HAT. Support our sponsors. That's why we are here. So let's get to it, Coop. We can't keep track of downs without you. What do you got? Coop here, first down. All right, so the college football playoff, let's start with the top down, and then I'll ask you specifically about the balls. Did they get it right at the top? I think Georgia and Michigan are the two best teams in in, in, in college football right now, and I would take Georgia just slightly over them, but that's not the way it shaked out. Nobody called me, so – Here's the way the rankings did shake out. It was Ohio State number one, Georgia number two, Michigan number three, Florida State number four, Washington five, Oregon six. Did they get it right? That's first down, Caleb. No, they did not. And the reason I say they did not is college football playoff rankings should not have power rankings as a factor. They shouldn't factor in who Vegas would favor on the field. I don't care what Nick Saban says. They should only look at your resume. And that's always been my point. Right now, to this point, do I think Georgia and Michigan are the two best teams in football, too? I do. Do I think they have the two best resumes? No. I think I'm fine with Ohio State being number one. I would have had Washington at number one, though. I think Washington or Florida and Florida State have the two best resumes. And I think – but Washington, Florida State, and Ohio State are interchangeable of one, two, and three. Georgia and Michigan, one of them has to play somebody beyond, like, the school for the blind before I can put them at number – in the top four. Because they have had – the worst schedules of any top five playoff team in history to this point. And I would have, I would have Oregon at number four ahead of Georgia and Michigan with one loss. All right. What down Coop? Cooper Mays here. Second down. Balls at 17, too hot, too low. Right now it's, you know what? It's too low. I think they should be ahead of Notre Dame, quite honestly. Agree. And so I think they should be at number 16. All right. What down we got, Coop? Tennessee center Cooper Mays here. 
third down. Okay. So I know you want to touch base on this. And um, I, I know that you've talked about this earlier. Do the Vols have a path to making the college football playoff and what has to happen? Yes, they absolutely have a path. So let me break down. Let me just say this point real quick. Based on games that have to be played, first, Tennessee has to win out. Let, that, that's, that's assumed. If Tennessee wins that means out. Beating, that, that means beating Georgia. Right. That means beating Georgia. So if Tennessee wins out, based on games that have to be played that are coming up, it will be impossible for Tennessee, if no upsets happen, happen it would be impossible for Tennessee to finish below eighth. Okay, so that's all that that's assuming no upsets happen. Now, first step is getting somehow backing their way into the SEC title game because they're not going to go to the playoff as a two-loss team who didn't win their conference. So they have to somehow win the SEC. Which means if you're Tennessee, you want Missouri to beat Georgia this week. You want Georgia to beat Ole Miss next week because you want that one loss Ole Miss team to have two losses. You want to beat Georgia, and then you're you want to play Alabama in a rematch. And the reason you win Alabama in a rematch is if Alabama loses to LSU and you go beat LSU in the SEC title, well, you won the SEC, but you and Alabama both have two losses and Alabama beat you. The playoff committee will look at that. So you, the rooting interest for Tennessee in the SEC is Missouri beat Georgia, LSU beat Florida, Alabama beat LSU, Georgia beat Ole Miss, Tennessee beat Georgia, and then Tennessee beat Alabama in the SEC title game. Now, if that happens, they'll be at number seven assuming there are no upsets. But again, there I think be. they would, there will be, there will be. And I think they would leapfrog Notre Dame and it, it, which would put them at number six. And I also think they would, I, again, I, that, that would put them at number six, really knocking on the door and Washington or Oregon, one of them is going to fall somewhere. Okay. Let me ask you this, because these are human individuals and it leads us to fourth down, Coop. All SEC center Cooper Mays here. <laughs> fourth down. All right. Is Tennessee appealing? Last year, they were obviously appealing. And had it come down to two teams that were very close, let's say, for that fourth spot, okay, hypothetical time. I believe that Tennessee, with their style of play, would have won that battle and been in the playoff if there were two teams that were incredibly close. You're not supposed to factor that in. You should factor in resume. I agree with you, Caleb. Uh, the, the Even the eye test, which I use far too often, is probably not the best way to go. But the bottom line is uh, Tennessee is not as sexy uh, this year as they were. So if they did all of that and they're teetering between four and five, would you think that would factor in? Because – I honestly think it would. Um, I, I think that uh, Tennessee was super sexy last year, and um, yeah, they even had a hooker at quarterback. And they also were a good story. Um, I don't think they're as good of a story this year, even if they were to get to that point. Your thoughts on how appealing the Vols are for what is, let's remember, a TV show, okay? This is entertainment. They want the most appealing teams out there. If it were close between four and five, I don't think the balls would have the same edge that they would have last year. Do you agree or disagree? I actually disagree. I think they have more edge this year. Mm, and the why? Reason, because I think this committee, a lot of these guys are older guys on the committee who still think football should be about 
who have the Gary Danielson approach to football. We think it should be about defense and toughness and running the ball and all of that good stuff. You know, former football people used to call it in the 90s. Um, the ones that would think your head coach should be Jeremy Pruitt and you use three tight ends on the field. <laughs> I think that's what a lot of this committee's made up of. And we're seeing that. Because Dave, who's number one? Who's number one in the poll? Ohio State. Have you seen Ohio State this year? It's not your typical Ohio State offense with Kyle McCord. They're not a sexy team this year at all. Well, no, it's not. And I don't understand the love affair with Ohio State. I'll just go ahead and tell you that. They're loaded with talent. They have the most talent in the NFL and college football this year. Yeah, but I'm not talking specifically about this year, but it seems like they always get the benefit of the doubt. Do they not? I mean, I, I can't say they have. I feel like they've usually earned it. Um, I mean, when Tennessee played for the national title in 98, they didn't get the benefit of the doubt. I mean, they, they went to Florida State for the number two spot when Ohio State also had a loss and Florida State got the nod. I mean, again, now what you're saying with Ohio State, I feel that was Bobby Bowden in Florida State. Bobby Bowden always got the benefit of the doubt when he was at Florida State. Um, but OK, but if you're going to give the benefit of the doubt to somebody, you should give it to Georgia. Um, they, they had 10 picks in the 2023 NFL draft. Um, Alabama had 10 picks. Um, If you look at the Philadelphia Eagles, they're pretty much the Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, Michigan was next with nine picks. TCU third with uh, eight. Um, To me, if you're giving somebody the benefit of the doubt and you're going to like somebody, when you really don't have enough of a, a test a subject, I guess is the word I'm looking for. You don't have enough uh, history to really judge these two teams, and we will by the end of November. But why wouldn't you go with the team that annually is more talented? I see what you're I saying think- about Ohio State this year, but I-, I will go ahead and bet you that over the next three years that Georgia will have more players drafted than Ohio State. Well, because, uh, look, I think Georgia could beat Ohio State this year. I think right now, though, you're basing it off resume. I don't think it's close. Ohio State's resume is way better. Georgia should not be a top-five team in the playoff right now. Okay, they. I'm sorry, but, like, Georgia and Michigan have played air so far this year. I think James Madison has played a tougher schedule than Georgia. James Madison's undefeated record is more impressive than Georgia's record right now. So, I think... Yeah, I mean, but but we have to use some common sense, don't we? I think you use common sense by putting Georgia at five and saying when they beat somebody worth their salt, which would be this weekend when they play Missouri. All right, I'll move you up when you play Missouri. Until then, I got one loss Oregon ahead of them, and I got Michigan uh, behind Georgia. I got Michigan at number six, Georgia at number five, Michigan at number six, because neither of those teams have played anybody. And I think resume matters. That doesn't, these rankings aren't about where you think it's going to end. They should be based on what you've done to this point. Full stop. Um, <clears throat> I, philosophically, I'm more of an eye test guy, and I and I understand where you're coming from. Eye test doesn't get you through a court case. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't win you an election. It doesn't do a lot of things in life. But I am a little bit more of an eye test guy. The Dave the eye that, test. Eye test is why Florida State was favored over Tennessee in the '98 national title game. And look what happened. Yeah, I thought that was just more about uh, what they had done lately, tradition. I I, No, it was about people looked at Tennessee and was like, well, they struggled to put away Mississippi State. They struggled to beat Arkansas. They looked a little rough at November. And they they said, you know what? Florida State is playing better in November. I test, by the way, here's the biggest piece of history. 
2006, do you remember the Florida, Michigan, Ohio State debate when Ohio State beat Michigan and everybody thought Michigan should play Florida in a rematch or Ohio State in a rematch and Florida got denied for Urban Meyer's first national title? Everybody said Florida has been struggling to win all these games and Michigan blew out everybody and only lost to Ohio State by three. They passed the eye test. But what happened? Florida goes to the national title game and beats Ohio State 41 to 14. And I mean, I, 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 I test is a tiebreaker. It should not over it should not outdo schedule strength at all schedule strength matters to me more than i test by a large margin mm, okay uh i can roll with that i can roll with that the um the one aspect of tennessee athletics that you're not thinking about yet but it's time to start with caleb calhoun i'm dave hooker and we're going to give you some great fantastic news coming up next stay tuned two minutes Got cataracts? We can fix that. Never miss another moment. With a little help from Drs. Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn at cctis.com. Hi, I'm Rick Terry, and we at Rick Terry Jewelry Designs pride ourselves in the highest quality craftsmanship from a family-owned business here in Knoxville for over 35 years. At Rick Terry Jewelry Designs, we also take pride in being an affordable option for all your game day accessories, especially those fire opals. At Rick Terry Jewelry Designs, we want to be your jeweler every day and especially on game day. Go Vols! Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. These mountains hold and defend a spirit far better than moonshine a drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity a hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend a refreshment that can only be found in one place with a taste that makes you say give me three bottles of the good stuff tennessee cider company where necessity can be found um, who's this guy? Hello, wizard. The Dave Hooker Show. Ooh. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker. Posted on the message board, someone said that in three years, Tennessee will have more players drafted into the NFL than Ohio State. That would be a fantastic sign for the balls. I asked during the break, but will they have more than Georgia? Got a couple of mixed answers on that. I mean, I think Kirby Smart has that thing rolling. So if, if it's even if it's even a comparison in three years, you're probably playing in the national championship game at some point. I don't think there's any question about that. And um, then one other thing that I wanted to note, our poll question, which we'd love for you to take part on on the YouTube. And that was posted this morning. So I wanted to get a good feel for this. And it was, what do you make of recent officiating in Tennessee's games? One choice was refs out to get the balls. Another was looks fine to me. And then bad calls have been bad luck. Guess which one's leading, Caleb? 
Refs out to get the balls. 66%. 2% say looks fine to me. And 32% say bad calls have been bad luck. That is the... That's where I am. That's where I am too. And maybe luck's not the best choice of words, but just kind of refs get caught up in games. That happens. Before you get some Tennessee hoops, man, and they are really, really good. I think some people took us making fun of Tom Izzo yesterday and his comments that they're a Final Four team. We were making fun of him. I think some people took that the wrong way. People got hoops, really but... mad at us for it. Yeah, you're like a total jerk. Hey, so um, this guy that I've got up on the screen here, who is who is this dude? Uh, so this I think is the guy I, I was saying earlier. It looks like Vanilla Ices, for those of you that are on the uh, audio platform, it looks like Vanilla Ices' grandson. So this guy, I was laughing earlier. This is the guy Jim Mora decided to start at running back for the first five games of the season at UConn, Victor Rosa. Dave, does he look like a running back at all? No, for those that don't know, he has uh, curly hair, and unlike most running backs, he's Caucasian, which is, <laughs> which is fine. There's a Christian McCaffrey out there running around. He doesn't look um, like Christian McCaffrey, nor does he look like Toby Gerhardt or whatever other Stanford running back that was white from that time yeah or or play like them either this tennessee basketball team uh an exhibition uh win once again and we'll get into the conversation about rick barnes and his lack of postseason success but aside from that i mean that that'll be a february conversation a march conversation but just scale of one to ten when you look at this roster caleb how excited should Tennessee fans be about what the balls will feel this year on the uh, on the hoop side. Well, first of all, uh, let me apologize to all the commenters on our video the other day on Tom Izzo. I was obviously wrong. I mean, the way Tennessee played at Lenore Ryan, they're going to win the national title because beating Lenore Ryan in an exhibition, guys, is like the first step, next step national title. I mean, it's basically the same thing. There exhibition games are just that big of a deal. Here um, we go. The sarcasm alert is on. Uh, for, for we Caleb were Calhoun. railed they, all two days ago. They're like, oh yeah. my god, the exhibition means so much, and it was such an important win. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> see, so if if you rip Caleb, we have to hear more of that voice. But <laughs> Tennessee, for any of those that thought we were ripping uh, Tennessee's basketball program, that wasn't the case at all. I just thought it was you were ripping people who thought it. that that game mattered. Yeah. Okay. So, especially so, without two of your best players in Ziegler and Scobie. Uh, Tennessee basketball, your thoughts on how good this program can be. And let's talk regular season for a second because one game does determine ultimately what you do. And that loss could be the first round, second round, Sweet 16, Final Four, or they could win it all. But as far as a team that could potentially win the regular season, um, could get a one or two or three seed. What do you think of this team's potential from what you've seen so far? Okay, in all seriousness, it's through the roof. And it's through the roof because of the depth and because of Barnes willing to change his philosophy. I'm going to tell you what stood out to me yesterday, Dave. And it's not about how they played in the game. They beat Lenore Ryan. I swear, if anybody brings up how they looked playing Lenore Ryan, I'm I'm just going to throw my headset. Okay, that just drives me crazy. Um, but I will say that it's how Barnes managed the roster. Zakai Ziegler and Santi Vescovi were both out. Those are both guards. 
You and I both know Barnes has had a bad habit of wanting to play big still in this age of basketball. He likes, he used to like those like tweener stretch four guys playing the three and then two true post players at power forward and center. That's what he's always liked. And this time, even with two, his two starting guards out, he still played small ball. Jemai Meshack and Josiah Jordan James were out. Okay. Jonas Adu was the center. He was the big guy, but then he had Don't Connect, Jordan Ganey, Josiah Jordan James, and Jemai Meshack as the starters. All four of those are guard slash wing players, but none of them are post players. And so I think what we're seeing is that Barnes is willing to play small ball now and not because he's forced to because of some injuries. Now, Toby Awaka came off the bench, had 11 points, um, and he, he is a big guy. I was worried Barnes would start Adu and Awaka together. He's not doing that. And because of Barnes' philosophy, I think Tennessee should be excited because Barnes has finally joined 21st century basketball. Okay, so you're telling me you think there's a philosophical shift in the way Rick Barnes is going to put a team together. Is that what you're telling me? I do. I think there's a philosophical shift. Okay, I don't want to be pessimistic here, but I'm going to play devil's advocate. A philosophical shift at, what is he, 68 years old? Yep. Okay. Philosophical shift usually doesn't happen when you're 68 years old. Okay. And when that philosophical shift is tested and that philosophy is tested, in tough times, and every team's going to have tough times. Very few teams just run through the regular season undefeated or with one or two loss. You tend to fall back on that. So, Caleb, how concerned are you that Rick Barnes could fall back on uh, his his usual coaching, which is to be very conservative? Yeah, def- playing tough defense and using size. I think he could because he has the he has the roster to do that too. Unfortunately for Tennessee. Um, I can definitely see that. So they have yeah. too much versatility in their talent. Yes, exactly. Interesting. So I think that is a legitimate concern, but I'm not so sure because Rick Barnes has changed his philosophy before. He just hasn't changed it the way he needs to. So, I mean, Rick Barnes has gone tempo in the past. He's gone. He's lived a little more by the three point line than he wanted to in the past. So I think the philosophy I, I, I think he'll actually be patient and be able to stick with what he's doing. Your example, I, I will say, it's funny. I don't know where to go with this because I think of, you know, when Steve Spurrier was in South Carolina, he had a philosophical shift and moved away from the front and gun, knew he had to, did a great job as a coach. But I did feel like when things got a little tight, he reverted back to just trying to desperately throw it every time to make a play, even at South Carolina. There well, and Steve Spurrier also, uh, I, th- I thought, wow. Uh, he he placed an importance on running the football that he didn't in 2001, especially against Tennessee in that game. And it was chuck it, chuck it, chuck it. And his game plan, no offense to Travis Stevens or uh, any of those guys, uh, Casey Clawson or the guys that played a great job on defense, but uh, Steve Spurrier's decision to not run the ball more often is the reason that that game went Tennessee's way. So I think you're always going to fall back on kind of what you know and what your base beliefs are. That that would be my concern for, for Tennessee's fan base is you go out there and you're running gun, and then you get to February and you get a little tighter. Uh, that would be my concern for Tennessee's fan base because you don't want to see the running gun and you get all excited and then suddenly you're like, oh, well, that didn't, that didn't work out very well. well 
Barnes has never abandoned tempo, to be fair. He actually always has, like, tempo. He just likes to play big and rely on the mid-range when they're scoring out of half-court sets. And he focuses heavily on defense. So he's not as much... What he doesn't like is the fluid finesse shooting on the outside, moving the ball around the perimeter. Um, you're right. He could revert back. To, I mean, what what? It depends on how. He, a lot of this is how Barnes runs his practices. He's very grinding in his practices. I think you know that, Dave. Uh, you know, you know the coaches that just. It, it's kind of like the Jim Harbaugh effect. You know this Jim Harbaugh in football. It's a known thing. He really grinds everybody around him, doesn't he? Tori, you're just kind of mentally drained. By the time it's by the time kickoff happens, a lot of times if you're Michigan players or San Francisco players or wherever, that happens to Tennessee. You so, think Rick Barnes grinds them down? I think he grinds. I think he grinds players. Yeah, and I think that's why you see these February slumps with them a lot of times because huh. they're mentally drained. He a lot of defensive, a lot of coaches that like to coach defense do that. John Calipari does it. Why do you think John Calipari only has one national title? Because maybe Rick he, Barnes just needs to go Jerry Green and have a couple of pops for practice. I mean, why not? Go, why not? You One, know, two, three, some, tequila. Watch some soap operas, right? I mean, that was late. Yeah, they're right. <laughs> but like what you sometimes need a um <laughs> I mean and, and look, it goes both ways because I know Jimmy Johnson grinded the Cowboys and they won two Super Bowls out of it. So like I don't know what the balance is to grind versus to maybe pull back and just, you know, let them mentally clear their head. Well, you win. I mean, and and here's the other thing, you you win, and those Jimmy Johnson teams don't get me started. We're so deep. I mean, they had their second string won the third Super Bowl with Barry Switzer as a coach. Those were second string players on the '92 team. So it was basically like if you don't want to go out there and grind, somebody else is going to like now. So I is, does Tennessee have that much depth where you can say? But if you don't go out there and grind, somebody else can step in for you. But but again, that I'm getting off topic. This is this is a team that has a philosophical shift with their coach. That's that's the news here. We we think right. Yes, but part of the philosophical shift is practice because Barnes. The reason I say grind is because Barnes always let. He's not he's not against the three point line. He just likes to play big and use the mid range. And then in practice, he grinds because he coaches defense heavily more than anything else. And so the question becomes, is he still solely pushing his players on defense? You know, because as you know, Dave, the effort you give on defensive oriented coaches in basketball, the effort that require it requires to play the level of defense to the standard that those coaches want, it does drain you a lot mentally, particularly okay. when great offense always beats great defense. Now I'm going to do what I said I wouldn't do. Tennessee's a number one seed. They win the regular season. In the SEC, I don't care if they win the SEC tournament because it's a meaningless event. Even a tornado through a downtown Atlanta couldn't stop that thing because nobody cared. Um, and they played in front of like 500 fans. And, okay, so if Tennessee's the number one seed, if Tennessee wins the regular season and they get bounced in the first or second round of the NCAA tournament, will most fans want to risk a change? I think no. I think most Tennessee fans have perspective. Um, now I could be I could be wrong on that because I know most fans wanted to risk the change with Jerry Green in two thousand one. But I think the difference was, you know more about that than I do, Dave. But wasn't it Jerry Green inherited a bunch of Kevin O'Neill recruits and just rolled the ball out and didn't even bother to coach him? Wasn't yeah. that the case with Jerry Green? Yeah, that was exact. I mean, he literally said those words, 
in a practice before an SEC tournament game. He goes, let's just uh, practice. will just be two hours of street ball. And I'll never remember. I'll never forget a reporter next to me. Uh, I'm not going to name him, but he's a big hoops guy. And he wanted Tennessee to go deep in the tournament. You know, typically reporters don't root for people, but root for the teams they cover. But you want your team to go deep in the tournament because you get to go to more games. And covering an NCAA tournament is a lot of fun. And I remember him saying, GD, that's the effing stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Because, you know, when you go into that week before the SEC tournament, you only have, what, six to eight practices before the NCAA tournament. So you should be working on something instead of up and down street ball for two hours. The guys can go do that on his own. Yeah, I think I think Tennessee fans would be incredibly frustrated and probably uh, a good a good percentage, 30 to 40 percent would be like, all right, let's let's try something else. But that's me. All right. He is Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker off the Complete coverage of Tennessee. Hit that like and subscribe button. What, Coop? Cooper Mays here. Hit like and subscribe. If you haven't done so yet, I don't know what to tell you because we got Coop. We got Jacob. We got Jamal Lewis coming up. I just got a tweet from Aaron Hayden. So we're going to visit with him. We got all kinds of Tennessee covers that you'll love. Uh, he's Caleb Calhoun. You have my brilliant mind too, guys. So yes, you know. and you have Captain Analytics there. No punning, just hand the other team the ball. This and we don't do exhibitions here. There are no off, exhibitions off the hook sports. It's all live Super Bowl every day. Have a fantastic morning, evening, night, whenever you're watching. Afternoon, everyone off the hook sports. <laughs>